<laughs> Cheers. Will, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, dude. Official. Um, I know this has been in the works and you've kind of been there from the beginning. Right. As far as like getting it going. But we were chatting before this. The Formula One races are going on currently. They are. We are approaching the end of the championship. It's been Max Verstappen's won it. He's clinched the victory and Red Bull is ahead by a significant margin. But there's still some uh, some interesting battles going on in like second and third. There's some battles and then in the drivers championships as well. There's some uh, there's some very close battles for yeah there's a battle for second and then a battle for fifth i guess how long have you been tracking this so i got into it uh i feel like a lot of people get into it when you watch drive to survive on netflix great great that documentary <laughs> it's really good even if you're like not even interested a little bit in cars it's still kind of cool to watch it so one of my uh really good friends taylor uh, called me up and was like hey if you're not doing anything check this uh check this series out and i looked it up and was hooked immediately and then started following the live races. And so I've been following since 2019 and then, yeah. yeah. And then you went to, uh, went to Monaco recently. That was, was, Oh my gosh, the most, like, that's like the big one. I know the U S races for some reason are just super expensive, but Monaco, that's the glitzy one. That's what this Las Vegas grand prix that's going on this weekend that's what they want it to be yeah. is uh just like all the the yachts the money when i was walking around there like the cars that i was just seeing in the streets there's bugattis aston martins like i'm sure they were like within like the hundreds of that were made of that kind of car i've i guarantee it and just the amount of wealth that was around that kind of atmosphere but it was it was super cool just to see that kind of historic track because it's it's not the most exciting race it did yeah. get exciting because it rained which is it's not common so it was really cool that i was there and it rained and like there was a, a driver he made impact with the wall like just behind where i was standing i was like oh shit that's, that's, oh god yeah i was like we had whipped around so fast because they're like you you watch you still watch the race like on a tv because you can only see like so much so many like maybe three of the 12 to 17 corners that are on the racetrack but right you still are watching on the TV, but then all of a sudden like cars are ripping by you and you're just like, Oh shit. And then you see your driver and you're like, yes, it's Carlos. It's my guy. Carlos Sainz. Ferrari. Ferrari. Yes. Dude. They, uh, they had a little incident <sighs> today. Oh my gosh. Just how much do those cars run? So what do you mean? Like cost? Oh, millions, millions that, that, so for people who don't know what happened, so it's the Las Vegas Grand Prix and this is the first time they're running in, I don't know how many years, been like 20 years, but the first time on this circuit that like runs down the main like Las Vegas Strait, which is super cool, goes past this like the big sphere that they just built. Mm -hmm. um, well, in order to have the track ready for these cars, which use certain types of aerodynamics called ground force, they had to like reinforce all the manhole covers and the drain covers. Well, one of the Ferrari drivers, Carlos Sainz, drove over one of these manhole covers and the force of the car was so strong, it ripped the, it was welded down, but it ripped the concrete up and this thing punched a hole in his car and caused, he had to change his power unit, his battery, the chassis, like there was a hole big enough you could see the floor, like the, through the road, see the road through the car, like a lot of damage. And he got a, he got a penalty for having to replace all the parts, even though it was like, not, not his, his fault, fault at yeah. all. Like, it's not like he hit the wall. He was driving straight. And just all of a sudden, like the videos you see are just like 
all of a sudden sparks. And That's what like, I saw. I was while I was waiting for you to come over. Yeah. I was watching Instagram and it's like the cars going down the strip and all. It's like all of a, a sudden fireball. and it's like it's not uncommon to see sparks underneath cars. But like all of a sudden, like like that, it was just not not a good time. So what do the penalties look like? So it's a you have a certain number of power units you can use per season. And so once you go past, I think it's like either three or five, um, then you start taking grid penalties. So uh, the race weekend, you you qualify for the race. You go, have a couple of practice sessions, and then everybody tries tries to drive as fast as they can. Qualifying session to determine the race order. Well, after that's been established, if you have to replace your power unit, your battery, anything like that, you'll take grid good grid grid place penalties. Yeah. And uh, so he has a ten place grid place penalty. So even if he qualified first place, pole position, he He's would start eleventh. A let? Oh my. Yeah. It's a lot of ground to gain. Pain. Yeah. It's pain on a street circuit that they've never raced before. And like the drivers were talking on like, oh, it's way different than the sim racing that they've done on that. Cause they, they try to do practice laps to mm-hmm. kind of get at least some kind of muscle memory down. Cause he's there. It's the conditioning and the training they go through is insane. It's all kinds of different aspects they, they focus on. Yeah. I try to get into it. The problem, like even UFC, like I watch the UFC pretty frequently, but like even that, I find it like it doesn't end up well with my schedule. So anytime sure. there's a race, I'm like, oh, I'm working or I've got this. Yeah. Anytime there's a fight, it's like, oh, I'm working. I've got something this. going on. Yeah, it's pretty frustrating. But yeah. Yeah. So other than uh, an avid follower of Formula One, what do you do? Um, I love to hike being in Colorado. Um, I'm sure so I just want for the record, you followed. Well, I followed John. Yes. Yeah. So and then you followed me. We should, yeah, we should explain how we know each other, I guess. So, yeah. uh, we are high school buddies. Uh, we met through some mutual friends. Holly no, Springs man, high I, school. Honestly, like it was that lunch group. Yeah. We were sitting at lunch. I was a new kid, relatively new kid. Yeah. Uh, I was new. I was there before Kaylin DePaulo. Cause I remember Kaylin coming after me. Yeah. But like it was John and Cameron. That was pretty much that was my connection to to everybody else in that group. Sean and then your brother. Yeah. And then we just jumped in. Then we stopped talking for like a long time. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. Like you off to college and like unless you go to the school. Where'd you go? I went to Wilmington. UNC Wilmington. For how long? Uh, Four years. Okay. Four years in a semester. A little half factory lab. A little party city. It is. Yes. But yeah. Graduated exercise science and that, that was the other thing is i was trying to trying to figure out my life and yeah I moved up to connecticut for a little while you were in the military so was yeah we, yeah. Did, we both just kind of went our separate ways and it was so strange i don't did you reach out to me i think so because you ended up wanting to come to colorado yes i've been looking like so was i in connecticut for a while 2018 bunch of stuff happened that made me kind of pivot figure reevaluate life see what i wanted to do and I, i'd always wanted to move out here it's a matter of finding a job that would bring me here so once i found that i was like hey i knew that you were here i didn't think i think i just found out john had moved too like it, that was like yeah. a pretty recent development because i remember you visiting me yes and being like oh john's here too and yeah was i was like, oh that's pretty because i completely lost track with that whole group everybody yeah. like I, I checked in with like alex alex sherman every once in a while but that was about yeah. it I talked to the guys on Discord from time to time. Yeah, that was I'm not a PC gamer, so that was it was hard for me to like stay involved in that because mm-hmm. it's like I don't I'd have to have Discord and then be on yeah, whatever. 
So you went to under, well, let's, so high school. Holly Springs High School. High, go yeah, Golden Hawks. <laughs> uh, after graduation, you go immediately to Wilmington? Walk yep. me through that. So yeah, I went to Wilmington. Um, I thought I was going to go into physical therapy because I played soccer growing up uh, all throughout middle school, high school. Um, I never got hurt, but I had friends who did. So I was like, oh, when they came back, like they were, they were so happy. So I was like, oh, if I can help people do that, that's what I want to do. So I thought physical therapy was a route I wanted to go. Um, up in Connecticut, I was dating somebody at the time, how it always goes. She had a connection to a physical therapy clinic that I and eventually started working at as a physical therapy tech while I applied to those schools. Mm -hmm. It's a very competitive market. There's a ton of people trying to become physical therapists. Is it a, uh, is it a doctorate program or it masters? Is a, it or? is a clinical doctorate. So it's a three-year doctorate program. Um, you have to have a bachelor's degree and all the prereqs, but then I think you, you do publish research in your program, but you are not a doctor. How was your college experience? Um, I think it was, well, I had undiagnosed ADHD going to college. So I had that fun experience of having to self-regulate and like dedicate time to study. Yeah. And that was why like my first semester surprised I got the grades I did. But undergrad? Then, undergrad. Yeah. Okay. Second, second semester was when I was like, I'm nobody's account i'm accountable to myself and that's it and it was fantastic and then they were like oh wait no there are there are repercussions to your actions so had to take some time came back in with a more focused approach and that was when i found physical therapy uh exercise science which you can do a lot of stuff with you can become a personal trainer kinesiology you can go into research so there's a lot of stuff you can do with it uh, it's a very very uh flexible degree how was and then so you spend your time in a beach town oh yeah super nice climate oh yeah it was great i loved it it was i do miss the beach like i growing up i'd spent a ton of time at the deep at the beach with my parents yeah. we had a timeshare every summer we'd go down there as one of our big kind of family vacations so being able to go down the beach was awesome and like i scuba dive before i got into anesthesia Where at? uh all over i've been to a lot of um St. Thomas, uh, Bahamas, but then uh, one of my graduation presents for my parents, we went to Belize, which is okay. super cool. I was thinking like the Outer Banks area. I was like, that water's pretty murky. It is murky, but there's a ton of shipwrecks out there. So okay. off the Atlantic coast, it's called the the Graveyard of the Atlantic. So that's where uh, Blackbeard ship ended up okay. before it ended up in, a, or yeah, before it was in a museum. Do you ever find any pirate gold? No gold, but I've, I've done some shipwreck diving. That's, that's really cool. Most of the ships are pretty broken apart, but there's still some that are like the Spiegel Grove is one that's pretty intact. And mm -hmm. I think a, a hurricane back in like 2016 or something like actually stood it upright. It was at like 135 feet of depth. And then they, it literally the tide pushed the shipwreck upright. So now it's only like 65 feet. That's pretty dope. Yeah, it's cool. It, it completely changed the certificates you need to go dive it because otherwise you need like deep water certification, nitrox diving, like a lot of experience and they're like oh no no 65 feet anybody can do that you just have to pass your dive certification basically and that one's more intact it is yeah so you okay. can like swim through parts of it and you can still find some like little trinkets and stuff a lot of it gets picked over I was about, how does that work because if you find a trinket are you allowed to take it absolutely it? yeah there's there's a whole community of people in wilmington that like there's just old retired divers that go looking for like megalodon teeth there's a an area that we call like megalodon ledge that we'd take dives like dive trips too and yeah people just find 
these teeth that they sell for like thousands of dollars. Holy shit. On eBay. Yeah, and they're like, they're the big ones. They're oh, the, yeah. They're cool. Could you imagine if that thing was still alive? Yeah, I was just watching, uh, it's like Our, Our Planet on Netflix. It's great. <laughs> but it was like, how terrifying would it be if, like, we are we take being the apex predator for granted so like that's what all horror movies are is like what if something could kill us very easily yeah oh no we are not as safe as we think we. i don't feel safe in the ocean oh no you shouldn't i know i mean anytime i'm on a cruise i'm like if i fall off i'm dead (laughs) like instantaneously right like i know i'm gonna i could swim for a little bit my body fat's pretty low so i'd probably sink yeah oh yeah swimming's a struggle for us dense people (laughs) but at the end of the day i feel like I would get eaten by sharks, even yeah, though I like, know in the middle of the ocean, it's very, like, it's very unlikely. Yeah. There's not a ton of stuff at shallow depths way out in the ocean because it's not safe to be out there. Um, but yeah, like at night, that's when all the, yeah, the Kraken come out and the big ass, the Megalodons, they come out. But no, if you ever look at like, Do you think they're still around? I don't, I talked to my buddy about this and I, and, and so the, we are pretty we don't know anything about the ocean oh no we've explored like three percent or two percent of the ocean yeah. like it's so so alien like every time we go deep we find new things that we can't explain so do you think they're around i don't think so because i don't think any any predators that big still exist i think the 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 non-predatory species like i think there'd be a lot more things like whales out there that they would eat have you heard of the uh, there's a mathematical equation? Yeah, as far as it, like in the deepest depths of the ocean, they're not confined they're not by confined. gravity, so yeah. they can become as big as they want to. Yeah. And I, that's like you see squids that are that big. Yeah. And like so why jellyfish. Not a shark? I mean, it's not impossible. It's for sure. There I'm sure there's something big out there that there's like only a handful of, but there only needs to be a handful of because otherwise it would be over predation i think they control their own population (laughs) how fucking terrifying is that it's absolutely terrifying but no like if you look at any like aerial footage of beaches you see sharks they're they're out there they just don't come up close to us because we're not we're not fish yeah it's too hard to get us until you're on a boogie board until you're on a boogie board and doing your best seal impression yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) and then it just (laughs) and then you get a a cool you, they make a movie about you when yeah. you punch it in the face. Yeah. I would panic. Oh, everybody. Yeah. Everybody thinks that they can like take a shark. I no. guarantee you as soon as you lose. Oh God. Boom. Dead. It's like a bear too, man. Like if I saw a bear and it started mauling me. Yeah. No, I love that statistic. It's like 65% of men or something like that. think they could take a grizzly bear in a fight. I'm no like, the fuck way. you could. No way. Dude. No way. Those things are like over a thousand pounds. You would get hit once and they would break your entire rib cage. Dude, I ask Kaylee this all, or I tell Kaylee this all the time. Every time we go hiking. Yeah. I'm like, listen, I've got 18 rounds. It's only nine millimeter. I'm not going to make this. No, but I'm going to shoot off all 19 rounds and then I'm going to go to my pocket knife and I'm going to try you take to fight the kids. This you run as much as possible. Do not turn around. Because right. It's not gonna be I pretty. will. I will save you. That's how much I love you is I will Dude, throw my intestines. Right. Oh, everywhere. yeah. The Reverend did a really good job. Yeah. With uh, Leonardo DiCaprio doing that. Isn't that what he got his Oscar for? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't even talk the whole time. Just screamed, <laughs> thrown around. Is that it all was, it takes? 
It's terrible. Well, dude, that guy is a phenomenal. Oh no, actor. no, he it's he's been robbed for so long. I know. It took a bear mauling his ass. It did. I think there's one point where it, like legit bit his ass and like threw him. Yes. That's an intense movie. I need to watch that again. Right. I love that like Viking culture. That's what they would do. They granted they had axes and swords and were trained warriors. I would. I bet that if I had a sword, I think I could take. But like yeah. with nothing. You're just, you're just killing time. Yeah. Did I tell you I forged a tomahawk? You did. Yeah. That's cool. Damascus. It was, uh, there's a guy here local in Castle Rock that forges. He was on Forge and Fire. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. His name is Sean Meadows. Oh, I think he, I know him or like I saw his yeah. season. Yeah. So, uh, highly recommend if you're in the local area, he does like classes where, oh. where he uh, has railroad spikes. Oh, so yeah. it's mild steel, but sure. it's still fun. You get the hand, you know, you heat it up, you get the hammer, you, you, uh, forge it out. Sure. And then after that, you, you kind of make it whatever you want. Yeah. Um, super cool, dude. Can't That's like, awesome. And then, uh, so I hit him up after making the knife and I was like, Hey man, a lifelong dream of mine has been to make a tomahawk. And he's like, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Let's do a Damascus tomahawk. I've never done one before. How many times did you fold it? Uh, it's got 60 layers. Nice. Yeah. It's not, nice. I'll show you afterwards. Yeah. It's, it's pretty solid. It's got, I put a window breaker on the back of it. So I can like break windows, yeah. but it's all, it also like is a relatively decent hammer. Sure. Um, but yeah, helped me through the whole process. Uh, super cool dude. So, That's awesome. And I think it, I don't know how much his classes are, but they're not crazy. Um, and if he's still doing them, I would recommend it. To, like, For sure. Anybody. No, I was, I like to say if I was teleported back to medieval times, I would become a blacksmith because one just crafting things. It seems like a very fun occupation to have. Uh, but also it, during invasions, blacksmiths were sa were spared from execution because it's skilled labor. You can't just like take anybody off the street and say, okay, make this sword that can survive a battle that can be f people who even know how to fold the mask yeah. of steel. Yeah. And that was like, I mean, one of the, the revolutions of weaponsmithing is not just melting the ore together, but actually the, the more layers, the yeah. more, some more strength it has. So Damascus is actually, and this is something I didn't know. Damascus, the way we know it today is actually a relatively new process. Oh yeah. It wasn't a uh, high carbon steel at all. Okay. And, I, and I'm really hoping he eventually comes on my podcast cause he's more of the expert on this. But the, again, this is like secondhand information, Sure. but, um, the process of Damascus was actually developed in like the nineties. Okay. The high carbon process. Right. Yeah. The, the, the old process, which included mild steel, which a problem with mild steel is of, of course, if you get, if you hit a high carbon steel sword, it's going to, uh, it's going to delam. So it's going to, it's going to hit and it's going to have like a, a chip. Sure. Uh, that or completely break. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. The whole process. I felt there is nothing, there have been very few moments in my life that I felt like so much like right? a man it's, it's as cathartic. I'm holding yeah. this giant hammer Absolutely. and I'm whacking away at this, right. this spark hunk of sparks flying, this hunk of steel, man. Right. And then like to work it while it's hot, you're like whacking the shit out of it yeah. on this anvil. You throw it back in the furnace and you're like, okay, rest. I get 30 seconds. Right. And you're like, you know? Yeah. And like this, the Sean Meadows is a fucking beast, dude. He's sitting there. He's just whacking away at like side projects and stuff. And I'm oh, like, sure. how are you doing? That? How? how? I'm like, dude, I work out and right. like, you are, you are smoking me, but it would be definitely be interesting to be a blacksmith back then. I just think back like, 
uh, to Mighty Python. Oh, yes. To Monty Python. Uh, like, I think a lot of people initially assume they would want to be a knight. Yeah. No, that's. And everybody. Yeah. You, you think that they're going to be the knight in shining armor. It's like, no, you'd be a peasant unless you had a skill or were really lucky to be born into a, like a knight's family. That was really yeah. your, your best shot at. Yeah, there was the the farmhand who was able to find enough food to build the muscle to become a knight. But everybody else is like 90% of the population is you're a yeah, serf knights, labor. Knights were just bullies. Yeah, absolutely. They were just the guys that got the most food. Right. And were big. Absolutely. Could whoop your ass yeah, if you looked at them wrong. When genetics was a little bit more variable and it's like, yeah, they, it, there may be somebody who's just the mountain who rides and he's like <laughs> six foot six and just destroys you. Yeah. And then everybody else is like anemic and <laughs> dying of the black plague. I'm mal- I'm yes. I'm not dead yet. Whack. Yeah. So good. So you spent some time in Wilmington, moved to a yes. cold climate. Yeah. So moved up to New England and East Coast winter is way different than West Coast winter. Everybody's like, oh, aren't you worried about the cold? It's like, no, it's it's cold, but it's the dry cold. Yeah. So just wear jackets and a hat and you're, you're good to go. And the snow melts like two days back east. Like I understand why they salt the roads and you need a snow blower to clear your driveway. It's like here you can just kind of push it and you're good to go. Yeah, I get the leaf blower out sometimes. Yeah, it's all you need. Just blast it. Did you uh, – is that when you started your studies into anesthesiology? Yeah, so back in 2018, I had a pretty big surgery on my ribs. Mm-hmm. So I had what's called pectus excavatum, which is like spoon chest. I'm sure a lot of people who – know somebody who's got this varying degrees of severity but mine was severe enough that it impacted my breathing when i was exercising so like i said i played soccer pretty much from when puberty hit until about 18 my rib cage just kind of formed in on itself so when i would breathe i had what's called paradoxic breathing so i'd breathe in but my sternum would push in so i was really fighting myself to breathe so 2018 had the surgery which is basically like braces for your ribs where you just got two big metal bars across the inside of my rib cage, kind of pushed everything out. That was a, a long recovery. But after going through all of that, I really appreciated the anesthesia that I had that made that a more tolerable experience. And I got a couple different aspects of that. So I got, it's called regional anesthesia, which is like a nerve block. So I had a, an intercostal nerve block for, I don't know, probably on T10, T9, T10 area for where they were going to make the incision and put the bars to kind of make that a little bit better for a little while. Um, so for the people that are just listening only, can you say that in layman terms? I know you're showing. showing sure. So it's uh, kind of at bottom of the rib cage. Um, there's 12 thoracic vertebrae. Uh, so right around. So the 10th one down um, is right where they made the incisions. And uh, is that yeah. similar to like women getting epidurals during pregnancy? Um, so that is. For spinals and epidurals, we go for the lumbar vertebrae. Okay. We go for like L4, L5, because that's um, that hits the nerves that innervate the uterus. Right. Um, it's so yours was just higher. Mine was higher up, exactly. Okay. So it was like a very sp- it kind of hits a band of nerves. So they hit, they went in around T10. So they had about it's called uh, a couple layers above and a couple layers below. There's kind of this band of. Um, band of nerve block basically right and then um also had what's called cryoablation of some nerves so they while they were in my so it was all done laparoscopically which is super cool 
What does so, that mean? So they they cut um, little holes uh, in me to put little ports, which they then inserted their instruments. So it was all done with a, like minimally invasive. So right. the procedure before what I had was called the savage procedure, where they would literally cut across the rib cage, pull the diaphragm and rib cage open, put the bars in and sew you back up. And it was like six months recovery to get that, to recover from that. Understandably, they would, they cut through so much. And then what I had was called the NUS procedure, which is a significantly less uh, invasive, much quicker recovery. And basically what they did is they just put little holes in the side and then they pass the bars in and then flip them. But they, they go in with cameras as well. So they ablated the nerves in the inside of my ribs. Mm -hmm. So it was a little less sensitive. So for a little while, it's all my sensations come back for a little while. I had about a hand size um, area on my ribs that I just couldn't feel from the nerves being frozen. The only experience I ever had with any surgery was my broken collarbone. Sure. Do you remember that? I remember. Yeah. So you John, crashed a dirt, yeah. dirt bike. <laughs> That's yeah. why I will never get into dirt biking is because I know I will do the exact same thing. John, myself. John Faye was very, very good at dirt biking. Oh yeah. And I was trying to keep up with him on like a tiny little 85 CC two stroke. Right. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, the crazy part is I broke my collarbone. It was a full break. It wasn't a fret, like a, sure. a slight break. It yeah, was full green stick rotated. fracture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Full. Yeah. And the only thing keeping it in was my, uh, scapula mm. was keeping the bone from poking out of my back. Um, so we drove from Sanford, North Carolina, all the way back to uh, Apex, I think, yeah. where Wake Med was. So all like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. And like collarbone fractures are like one of the most painful ones. Yeah. I don't want to say, you know, I didn't want to inflate my ego too much, but I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah. Now you're no, kind of so kind of made a steal. The uh, So it sounds like yours was planned. And I, and I only say this because when I went in, uh, they gave me oxycodone or something sure. like that. But I had a delayed reaction to it. So I guess every and you would know more about this. Sure. Everybody reacts to drugs differently. They do. So they gave me an immediate release. Sure. But it wasn't immediate. So I was going into shock at that point because it's been an hour and a half with a broken collarbone. Yeah, the adrenaline's wearing off I'm, and your body is kind of okay. Yeah, I am fried. And sure. the funny part is I walk into the welcome center of Wake Med and I walk in, I have got no shirt on because EMS already ripped it right. off. I walk in, I've got like dirt all over me. I coughed up blood because of the impact. Sure. And the lady looks up from the desk and she goes, can I help you? I was like, and as I'm holding my arm, I'm like, right. I need to see a doctor. Oh, is this not Wendy's? My bad. I'm like, I need to see a doctor. I need to oh, see a doctor. Go out the door, take a left. And that's the emergency department. Thank you. I was like, okay. okay. So I literally turned around. Like, can I you get know, a wheelchair? <laughs> I was like 15 at this time. <laughs> As I'm halfway out the door, she's like, do you need a wheelchair? Anyway, so I signed myself in and they uh, they give me, I'm waiting sure. like 10 minutes to finally get into the, uh, what do they call it? The like emergency when, room? Yeah, but it's like uh, triage. Oh, triage. Yeah. yeah. So I'm waiting to see triage and I'm like waiting 10 minutes. So then they finally give me uh, an immediate release, but it doesn't kick in. So they, they check my blood pressure and everything. I was like that. And they're like, he's going in the shock. Cause they, they kept asking me like, Hey, how are you feeling? I'm right. like, I'm like, I'm not feeling too good. Right. They're like on a scale. One that, like shit. They're like on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know, maybe like a five or six. And they look over at the charts and they're like, how are you feeling? Are, are you sure though? I had no reference. Point. Right. 
Like to exactly. me, at ten is I'm dead. No, that's and that's what's funny is talking to patients after surgery is like I I'll do some like cataract surgeries on people. I I don't do the surgery. I do the anesthesia for it. Right. But like when talking to them in recovery, they're like it's an eight out of ten pain, and you just like look at the nurse like. I, I described 10 out of 10 as I just hit you with my car <laughs> and your whole body. Your, everything is broken. Yeah. Everything hurts. Like, okay. Yeah. Sh- I'm sure it's a very, like I've had some really bad headaches that yeah. I'm like, this is, this is up there. I yeah. wish I could immediately take, take this pain away, but yeah, it's all relative. Yeah. So, so you're sitting there, you probably looked just pale. I, dude, and and that's the thing they kept, they had me all hooked up sure. at this point. So they kept looking at the charts and they're like, Hey, his blood pressure's dropping. His heart rate's increasing. Yep. And like that, I guess that's like a immediate sign. Like, Hey, he's going into some sort yeah, of so shock. When um, you, when you're, you have that injury, your body just starts pumping all your like endorphins all out, just mm-hmm. your epinephrine, everything norepi that your body stores up for this emergency situations keeps your blood pressure up because you've lost blood mm-hmm. and it's someplace where it shouldn't be and so all your body's just releasing all those um catecholamines and then after a while there's only a finite amount of those resources in the body so once those start to wear off then the body starts to compensate so it's like blood pressure drops heart rate increases to kind of counter out yeah counterbalance the the loss of blood that makes sense because yeah. they they ended up looking at looking at me and they're like hey we're gonna get him started like didn't even ask me because yeah. again they they asked two times they're like hey how you feeling i was like i don't know like a five <laughs> five or six they looked i shit you not looks over at the monitors how you feeling hi are you sure and i'm like about a five looks back over yeah go ahead and get him started on morphine right and so they they hooked me up with the morphine and dude drugs are great it's they're a fantastic tool drugs are fantastic when you need them to work they're great scared the shit out of me though because the morphine starts and i don't know a lot of people say like the morphine isn't a psychedelic or it doesn't i it, it caused morphine hallucinations can. for me yeah and to the point where and i was still very lucid sure but the uh so the oxycodone kicked in and then i'm sitting there on morphine the morphine drip um and the nurse comes in she's got just black holes for eyes and these like razor sharp teeth right and i'm just sitting there i'm like this is cool everything's cool this is fine like i'm gonna be fine and i start crying and she's like are you okay i'm like yeah i'm fine and she's like are you in pain i'm like i feel nothing right now but i'm seeing some stuff that i don't think is real yeah and she's like oh yeah that's probably the drugs and meanwhile her teeth are like right (laughs) she's like okay don't focus on it bet they are (laughs) so yeah they get me into the mri machine and i didn't know this until years later they put pictures on the ceiling when people are going to mri machines that is fucked up man because whatever that when you're on some substances dude that it was like this beautiful flower thing and then this dragon started coming out like towards me and i was like this is too heavy then the last thing i remember in getting into your field and your wheelhouse is uh i was pre-op sure and uh met with the anesthesiologist and they were like hey we're gonna you know give you whatever and they're like uh you're not gonna remember anything after this and they're like, go ahead and count down from 10. And I remember counting. I was like, 10, 9, 8, lights out. And then out. the weird part came back. Yeah. So they're pushing me down the hallway. And I came back and I was like. After surgery? No. 
Okay. Like pre. Sure. And they're like, and I started looking around. I was like, hey, I'm I'm here. And they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, no, I'm here. I see everybody. I see you guys. I'm here. And they're like, no, you're not going to remember this. I'm like, seems pretty real to me. And I'm right. sure you can shed some light on this. Yeah. The so, last thing I remember. Yeah. And, and then I, because I, I want to pick your brain. On sure. Because I'm sure you hear this shit. And of course, I'm like a teenager. So I'm super self-conscious about my peeing and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Right. So I'm, <laughs> I'm in my little gown and they're like, uh, yeah, I've got, I think, uh, one, two, three, four, five, maybe. And then a six person yeah. crossed. They're like, hey, we're going to move them. And I'm like, oh, it's OK. I can help you. Broken collarbone. Right. And I'm like. You know, moving around, they're like, "No, no, 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 no! no, no please stop! Please oh stop!" My God. And I'm like, "No, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm okay." And they're like, "Seriously, stop moving! Stop moving!" And uh, so, and then after that point, when I went from the uh, stretcher, the the transport stretcher, sure. to the operation table, out completely out. Yeah, but I think it's weird that I remember the countdown until eight went unconscious, like the yeah. So well, what's what's going on there? So. For for your listeners, so I'm an anesthesiologist assistant. So it's uh, you can draw parallels to a nurse anesthetist, but it's or like a physician's assistant that's highly specialized in anesthesia. So what's interesting is that they had you count in pre-op because that's if they gave you something, they probably gave you something called a midazolam or versed, which is a benzodiazepine, which does cause the amnesia. What I call it, champagne for the vein. And it, it does cause some uh, retrograde amnesia, where it's pretty much every, everything after we give you that until it wears off, it's it's fuzzy. So you, you'll have some kind of flashbulb memories, kind of like what you were saying, like down the hallway, you do remember that. Typically, it's it's enough to kind of usually just mellows you out. It's we we if you're under like 50 or so, most people are going to get that before surgery because it just it helps me keep you chill chill in, in surgery on top of all the other other things i'm giving you um anesthesia is a cumulative kind of effect so it's like you you get some benzodiazepines on board um narcotics and then anesthetic agents like propofol or anesthetic acid like sevoflurane um it all adds together and then that is what allows surgery to do what they need to do mm-hmm. so yeah so they probably yeah, gave you some some medicines pre-op just to help with the pain, especially since you came into the emergency department. If you're a, a more planned surgery, you're, you're not getting all those all those drugs to keep you comfortable because most people aren't coming in with bones that are like barely hanging together. And, Bro, it f me up. Right? Yeah. So yeah, you got you got some good stuff, I guess. But uh, so I'd, most people, like I said, get some some Versed because it just helps with anxiety, um, and then. I, I have had people and, and that's what's so interesting is like I've had people that they know what time it is when they go to sleep and they will tell me they'll look at the clock afterwards and be like, I was under for an hour and 45. And I'm like, yes, you were. And like they know exactly that or people who will like they'll go to sleep counting and they'll wake up counting. So how does it work if, if they're looking at you? Yeah, like because because sometimes there's. Uh, I guess the average person would assume consciousness turns off when you close your eyes and you go to sleep. Right. Yeah. You just kind of like, but y- that's you not pretend to true. be asleep. Exactly. So anesthesia is all about understanding neurotransmitters, receptors, and how to manipulate that. So the basically the workhorse of anesthesia is what we call like induction agents. So there's a couple of different kinds. There's automate 
Uh, there's ketamine and there's propofol. There's the, the big kind of big three that we learned about. Um, Atomidate is really good for cardiovascular unstable patients. Um, people who meaning what? So like, sta- uh, like, so, uh, somebody who is like a really bad heart, somebody who's like about to have like heart surgery or something, okay. or yeah. So just like a, so the, the heart, the, one of the metrics we use to measure it's called ejection fraction. So if somebody has a really low ejection fraction, their heart is like barely pumping any blood out. You really don't want to mess with like how much blood is being redirected in certain places. So propofol, which is like the, the, it's the Michael Jackson drug. It's the sure. really, really common one we use. Uh, most people will get that causes vasodilation, which can be really bad in some patients who are like barely hanging on their, their hearts. Like you look at it, you're like, how are you keeping this person alive? But, um, like I said, so atomidate, uh, ketamine, which is a dissociative anesthetic, um, which makes you, doesn't really make you unconscious, but we give it to you in such high doses. It's very uncommon to use ketamine as an induction. I should mention that you'll see it a lot of times, like, um, paramedics will probably use it more than I do as an induction mm-hmm. agent. Cause it just kind of, you don't know what's going on. You're kind of in la la land. You're, you're really high. Uh, and then just allows us to do what we need to do. Um, but then propofol, uh, hits what's called the GABA receptor in the brain, which is Mm -hmm. also the same receptor that alcohol targets. So that's, yeah. So that's like, if you like the old medicine, give them a bottle of whiskey and a belt, same thing. If you can turn the brain off, but keep the the patient breathing, you're good. Good enough. Yeah. And that's, that's the, like the first types of anesthetics, like mil- especially like military anesthetics. That was all just kind of whatever you had laying around and that, uh, alcohol is one of them. Yeah. That's intense, man. Yeah. So, so you've had, you've never had anybody look at you and be like, I'm still here. What? And it's, <laughs> like, I, I like, cause say, I kid you not, dude. I was like, I was, I was no, pushing and down the hallway. That's and I'm the like, thing is hello. <laughs> like, yeah. No, you're please don't cut me open. Exactly. No. And that's, everybody's like afraid of like consciousness under and like awareness under anesthesia. Yeah. That would, so many things would have to go wrong for that to happen. Yeah. Like your body would react and like your blood pressure, your heart rate goes up. That tells me if I'm doing my job, right? So if, if you were to just be paralyzed and not unconscious, your heart rate and you'd be through the roof and then somebody would be like, Oh shit. Like I need to fix this. But like, I like to say anesthesia always wins. We just have to give you more of it sometimes. But like, dude, it I, was it was stressful. Sure. I was sitting there. I was like, no, 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 no. It's like that. Uh, uh, what is it? The Punisher? Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. No, like, no, it, people. It's always interesting being somebody in the medical field when people come in and they have no experience with the sure. medical field because they, they don't know how any of it works. And especially some people come in, they come in for like robotic procedures where they were like doing prostate, pre- like re- revision kind of removal of um, kind of excess tissue. Gallbladders can be done. Like you come into this spaceship having never seen a doctor in 20 years and you're like, what is going on here? And we just tell you everything's okay. Take some deep breaths. You'll be asleep in a little bit. We'll see you when you wake up. And like, I don't know. It's what's funny about my job is some people you'll see varying degrees of seriousness. 
And like some people really lean into the bartender aspect. If I have a patient who's like somewhere between 25 and I don't know, 35, I'll really be like, Hey, I'm Will. I'm your bartender. Cause I, <laughs> I usually I'm about to knock you out, right? Hey, you want the good stuff? I got the good stuff for you. Hey, do me a favor. Just push that mic just slightly away. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Um, so you come in and you're like, what cocktail do you want? What's today? going on? Little, <laughs> like I said, champagne for the vein. I'm, I'm your bartender. I take yeah. my job very seriously. It's all top shelf stuff. And uh, like I said, some people it's the humor is what helps kind of lighten that alleviate, up, yeah. alleviate some of the stress. We've all got, we've all got our jokes. One of my favorites like, Oh, just let me know when you're asleep. And they're yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's great. Like some people, some people really fight it. They'll like, you'll, you'll see that they're like, Oh, and the, the eyes open up a little bit more, but then eh, did you ever see that Steve-O Steve-O skit? Yeah, he, he induced himself, skit, but he's like sitting. There yeah, he going, had surgery. Yeah, and he, he pushed he pushed the own yeah, meds into like, his own. I'm still here. Yeah. And just like now just give it a couple seconds. Like, you can't stop the train. Yeah, <laughs> no. And that's that's what's so funny is like, like I said, people, some people fight it. Some Most people are just kind of like eh, drift off. Yeah. Eyes, eyes kind of flutter a little bit. And then I what we do to check how unconscious you are, we check the eyelid reflex. So I just like brush your eyelashes. And if your eyes kind of Twitter, Twitter a little bit, you're still, you're still there. If not, well, it's go time. The only other experience I ever had was, uh, so you know what PRK is? No. So it's the uh, procedure where it's a, uh, correcting vision Mm. procedure instead of LASIK. There's LASIK and there's PRK LASIK. They basically do almost a full circle laceration of your uh your uh skin on your eyeball sure. pull it open do corrections with the laser oh put the flap back and it's got that little area that's gonna heal sure prk uh the best way to explain it you you know uh back when you're a child and you were tie-dyeing eggs sure. for easter so they take a little uh metal circle thing and they push it down in your eyeball they scrape your top skin off okay do the corrections and allow your skin to heal back naturally. Interesting. So PRK is known more commonly as a more longer lasting solution than LASIK. Okay. I just I, remember going in and they gave me a, I think it was a Percocet. Yeah, probably. It was a pretty high dose Percocet. Percocet or Valium. Valium. I felt great. Yeah. I felt real good. Yeah. So they put that... me in this tiny, tiny, tiny little room. Right. With like this really nice nature like show on. Oh, sure. And they're like, hey, just let us know when you'll when, when you feel it. Yeah. And I'm like, how will I know? How will I know? And then the, the nurse was like, oh, you'll know. You'll know. She closes the door, walks out. And I'm like sitting there. I'm like, okay, let me read a magazine. I'm like right. sitting there reading a magazine. The words started looking funny. I was like. Yeah. The words start lifting off the page. Yeah. I'm like blanking my eyeballs. I'm like, what's going on? I start yeah. looking at the TV. The TV is like three dimensional. I'm like. And then I'm super, I'm so calm. I'm oh, like, yeah. Oh. So that's what Versed does, but it hits you like that. Yeah, it's Valium, fantastic. Valium was interesting. Yeah. I've done a lot of drugs. In, yes. Under, like. Under supervision of yeah, a medical. Yeah, under supervision medical of medical provider. professional. Yeah. yeah. I've even done ketamine therapy for, yeah. like, uh, PTSD stuff. Phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it helped get past a barrier in my brain that I didn't even know I had up. No, that's crazy. Like ketamine falls under the like the psychedelic cate- category of drugs because it does cause, like I said, dissociative anesthetic. It does the K hole, dude. The K hole. We drop you. That's when we use it as medicine. We drop you so far in a K hole, you don't even know what's going on. And then we 
we do other things, but like then we pull it, we let it wear off. Like today I was doing some spine surgeries and that's the, the one first guy. Everybody's different. What I use for the first guy would have been overkill for the second person because I, but she was, a I guess a little more, she had had less surgery. So she was a little less, um, her body was had had less experience using the drugs, so it was yeah. like you'd needed less. But the other guy, he had had both his knees, both his hips, his shoulders replaced. So like his body kind of re- resisting my my medicine. So are they using uh, psilocybin or DMT? No, not in surgeries. No, really? Yeah, it's a well. I feel like because I've talked to a lot of people that have used DMT and sure. they say it's very disassociated. Like they leave their body. Oh, sure. I don't know what the time frame on that is though. Cause like ketamine for like what I use it for, it's a pain adjunct. So my, okay. the guy I gave it to, he was already unconscious. He had some narcotics on board. He had other things on board, but he was still, he was still reacting to having a tube down his throat. So ketamine just a little bit here, a little bit there was enough to just chill them out and just let you, you overbreathe them. So it's like your body produces carbon dioxide. There's a, a, when you breathe it out, there's an end tidal carbon dioxide reading. So that basically 35 is kind of like a normal person. If you're just sitting there monitoring your breathing. Mm-hmm. So if you overbreathe them, you breathe whatever, 16 times a minute, various volumes, you can take away the body's need to breathe. That makes sense. And kill them. Not to kill them, but you just, you take that 35 down to 30 and then that. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, I thought no. you were saying take it down the Z. Like, no, no, no. Yeah, breathe. No, no carbon dioxide. No, that's when, when you go from 35 to zero, that's when they're having a heart attack because oh, there's okay. no, the blood's not moving. There's no circulation. There's no circulation. Yeah. There, the carbon dioxide just building up in the blood and what is getting that's moved terrible. is like, yeah. So I moved to Colorado because everyone's much healthier. I did my training down in Texas where we joked anybody over a hundred kilos or like 220 pounds is a Texas medium. Yeah. My 600 pound life is filmed in Houston, Texas. One of my classmates was in one of those surgeries. Everything is larger in Texas. Every, everything's bigger in Texas. The sweet tea, the hats, yeah. the people. Yeah. But it's, I, I love Texas. I, I loved the training I got. I will say the, how long was your school? So my so I, I kind of cut you off right. halfway through, but you went to Connecticut undergrad. Undergrad. You were going to do physical therapy yep. and then you switched. Yeah. Two years applying to programs, got to the interview stage of a few programs, but it was just not, I wasn't the right fit. Um, like I said, had surgery. My dad actually passed away in 2018 as well, which is why I moved back down to North Carolina to be with my mom, kind of pivot. And then I was actually looking at becoming a nurse anesthetist, which is if you're not already a nurse, like a 10 year route. So I was like mentally preparing myself for that whole process. Went out to dinner one night with my mom or one afternoon with my mom. It's like 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah. And my, we overhear this family at the next table over and like talking about, oh, yeah, I get to wear scrubs and I'm out, out by like one o'clock every day. And my mom was just like, well, what do you do that allows you to do that? She's like, oh. My son wants to be you. <laughs> no, she was like, I'm an anesthesiologist assistant. And I was like, what is that? And yeah launched into it and told me all about it. And that was my connection to Indiana University, which has a program. I went out there for some some job shadowing as well as some shadowing with that lady in Wilmington. She worked at an outpatient surgery center doing tonsils and various little Dude, I 
I always think like carpal tunnel releases and stuff without these small little interactions, right? Your life would have taken an extremely different route. It's so small too. It's so small. Literally, like if my mom had not talked to that lady, if you didn't go out to dinner, if we didn't, if we what if not you're like out in traffic lunch, and you're like, you know, I'm like so frustrated. All right, we're just going to cook out. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, ah, what, what are you feeling? Let's let's go Mexican instead of this beach food. You know, yeah, like, sounds good. Yeah, so that that got, so, that was my I'm connection. So so happy that this is all panned out. Mostly self serving because you're here in Colorado. I get it. But like, truly talking to you in high school, and we're all kind of have that existential crisis, you right? Know, of like, what am I gonna do? Like, yeah, you're. It's all fun and games, and then you have to be an adult for the rest of your life. Yeah, like, what the fuck am I gonna do with my life? Yeah, and I I knew I was going into medicine. That was yeah. like since ninth grade, eighth grade. I knew I was gonna do something in medicine because one, I knew it was job stability, good pay. Very, a very interesting field to me mm-hmm. at least. So I initially thought like, I don't know, become a pharmacist, but that's like, because that's one of the highest paying jobs, but it's also one of the most amount of schools. Cause you also have to understand drug interactions. Like I use a very small scope of medicines. Like most people get pretty much a very similar cocktail of medicines for me for most sure. of my surgeries. But like, prescribing medicines there's a lot of interactions between drugs that you have to worry about so that's pharmacal like pharmacokinetics and dynamics and stuff so pivoted to physical therapy and then it's like well if i can't catch people after surgery i'll help them through surgery because i was somebody that helped help me through surgery i really appreciated so yeah it's so the shutting off of the brain that you guys are you guys being the anesthesia I team guess, team yes um or i would i would say field right sure you guys have more understanding of cognition than almost any yeah other science which is funny because if you start to really look into anesthesia we don't actually know how it works we know why it works we know what receptors we're targeting and we can target them very precisely but we don't really know how anesthesia works we just, it's like, if somebody, somebody described it, it's like the brain is like a, a radar wheel. You're just spinning, scanning. It's as if the thing that was, was consciousness, it just completely passes over. It just, it's unable to register mm-hmm. what's going on. Nothing's going on. And then we stop doing what we're doing. You kind of come back up and then your brain starts to work again. That's so weird. Right. So you know what I know, it's doing. Yeah. But you don't know how. We we don't or you know how or you don't know what. Well, so that, and that's what's ago. that's what's so cool about being in the medical field now, watching medicine develop. Sure. Is like there was first there was morphine. Yeah. Then there then came Dilaudid and fentanyl, which fentanyl is for me, a very potent tool. It's a very short acting medicine. It only lasts about 30 minutes or so from when I give it to you. And at peak time is about eight to 15 minutes. So it's great for like induction or like, oh, we're, we're making incision that first part of surgery until we get to where we need to get to. And you're like in your spine or your arm or whatever, call it what we're doing. 
that initial approach is usually the stimulating stimulating part, but then after that, it's less so because it's kind of it's everything's pulled out of the way. But um, yeah, because we have less nerves on the inside of our body. Exactly. Yeah. So that's like people who get IVs in their hands will complain more about propofol. It's kept in a glycerol solution, which burns. It, it feels like it's burning in your vein. But if you have an IV in your forearm, it doesn't hurt as much because there's less nerves around that area. How do you feel about the thought process that we're just like meat computers? Oh, yeah. I look at the surgeons. They're basically just meat mechanics. <laughs> what? It's just, I mean... And once once the drape is up, it's not a it's not that it's not a person anymore, but it's just they are mechanics fixing a part. Sure. Or removing a bad part. So it's like you go in, we're taking your gallbladder out. Yes, it's still Susie, but it's it's less so about like it. And that's why I would I would have a hard time doing anesthesia for you is because I would have a hard time separating you and my emotions for you from the job for me i have to kind so of when i'm looking you in the eyes and i'm like well right? i'm still here don't let me die don't i love you i have a <laughs> wife and kids i'm like matt you're having your wisdom teeth taken out it's fine you're Dude, gonna that's be another fine. side tangent i got my wisdom teeth taken out and uh what do they give you nitrate nitrous oxide yeah yeah a little pig nose so i <clears throat> so i'm sitting there and i knew kaylee at this time and they gave me some sort of post-surgery medication that made me trip balls. Was, they probably gave you Valium then too. That when I had my wisdom Maybe teeth trip, out, it was not a good trip. <laughs> it, it was. It'd it be like that sometimes. It'd be like that sometimes. Uh, but the initial trip of me getting sedated, I literally got ripped out of my body, and I'm sitting there looking at the room, and I'm like, "Oh my god, yeah, this is crazy." And then I was like, "Let me get back. Right? Let me get back." And then I just got sucked up into this like whiteness. Sure. And I kid you not. And I wrote this down and my mom. St- I, I hope she still has the napkins because my mom picked me up Sure. and I was like, pen and paper, pen and paper. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, cause I can't talk. Right. right. Oh, you got caught like, you're just, your mouth's all <laughs> but numb. I, I knew I was like, I can and write drooling this down. all over yourself. I can write this down. Yeah. So I'm sitting there pen and paper. When I got ripped out of my body sure. and it's still as vivid as this day, there was Mohammed, <laughs> Jesus, or God in the middle and then Jesus. Yeah. And they were, they were all three were standing there and they were like, we are the same people. You need to go back down there and spread the and, word and tell everyone to stop killing each other. We are the same. Yes. We're all one people. Smacked, back, back, smacked earth. back into my body. I was, I was like looking around the room. I'm like, is it done? And they're like, you know, right. Like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's surgery's like, all done. It like, went yep. well. Yeah, uh, dude, that one's brutal. They shatter your teeth and everything. Oh yeah. So anyway, um, really glad to be out of my body at that point. Uh, but I get in the car. I'm like, pen and paper, pen and paper, and I write this down on a napkin. Yeah. And I just keep writing. My mom's like, "What are you writing?" And she's reading. Manifesto, she's like, "Mom." She's like, "Oh my god!" And she was like, she like got all teary eyed. She's like, "This is so beautiful." And I was like, you know, I wonder, I wonder how many of the original scriptures were just like accidental psychedelic exposures. Well, I mean, if you look at a lot of early, early religions, that's it all re- revolves around like I don't know, ayahuasca, different yeah. mushrooms, argot, yeah, argot, different, different psychedelics. I mean, yeah. you're you're this hunter gatherer society, eat Did a you mushroom. Hear, 
Did you hear Moses, uh, the burning bush, was actually a DMT bush? I believe it. Like the, the leaf of the bush that was burning produces DMT, which is dimethyl titrate? I guess so. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, sorry. But no, but that's, that was that no, was, that was psych- psychedelics have been a, <laughs> a a major influence on religion and kind of the human psyche. How do you feel as a as a as a medical provider? Medical provider and I would say more in tune with like the most up to date stuff when it comes to uh revolutionizing the anesthesiology field with utilizing psychedelics so i i look at medicine as a tool i think sure. that's one of the biggest things like I, I have met lots of people as soon as you mentioned like oh i do anesthesia they're like oh do you take any medicine like no those are such powerful tools that i am given the the responsibility of handling because i am trained on how to use them i think that there's a time and a place for mushroom therapy for ketamine therapy because the way that those drugs kind of, I don't think there's necessarily a place for psilocybin in the medical, like in my profession, because it's, it's such a long acting substance. It can last anywhere between like three hours and eight hours. And then residual side effects can last days. That's a little long acting for what I do. But I think I, I was reading something. It was describing a psychedelic experience is, if you imagine the the mind is like a hill with a snowfall, eventually as thoughts, actions, events happen, you make these ruts that your brain just naturally starts to follow again. Well, a psychedelic experience is like a fresh snowfall. You can reestablish new connections. You can make different paths you hadn't made before. And that's why therapies work is because it's like, I've been hiding this. I've been really repressing this at this side of the hill I really avoided until the right the right scenario, the right trained people have those conversations that make you make you fall down that side of the hill and really kind of reestablish or draw new connections. Yeah. I could see I could see the hesitancy to use psilocybin. I would be more interested to see studies coming out of like prolonged use of DMT excuse me, DMT. Yeah. Now that's, that's not a, a common drug that's used. Right. Like it's very much like I know in, in rave culture, it's, it's pretty big. Like you, you can find, especially certain genres of music, you'll find um, a little more prevalence of those kind of substances. But like when I look at patient charts, like occasionally you'll see cocaine, you'll see methamphetamine use, you'll see psychedelics, you'll see opioid use, but like very rarely do you run into a, a lot of DMT use because mm-hmm. it's from what I've understood, it's a pretty short acting. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a friend of mine that's used it before and uh, it was a one and done. Sure. And uh, he was suffering from substance abuse. Uh, five minute trip. Sure. Five, maybe 10. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he wouldn't talk about what he experienced. He said it was really beautiful. It was really moving. It's really self-reflecting. Sure. And then from that day on, he stopped drinking. Yeah. Frequently. Yeah. Like I said, sometimes. And uh, I was, knowing this individual to come out of that experience, I was like, okay, well. Wow. That's pretty profound. Sure. And uh, I do know that Sanford, 
uh is that the u no what's uh what's a uk university that does a lot of not oxford oxford so oxford is doing a study right now with prolonged dmt intravenous therapies yeah intravenous therapies um and there's an individual that has a instagram i wish i knew his name but he talks about he was the first one of the first people to be administered dmt for 40 minutes wow yeah. That's a long time. So the interesting thing about DMT too, though, is it's naturally occurring. Yeah. So similar to like adrenaline, like an EpiPen. Yeah. It gets out of your system super quick because your body's like, oh, I yeah. know. I know what I've this is. I've got this. I've got let this me, on tap. Let I know me, exactly what uh, to do with what's this. What's the process of breaking down things? What is uh, that called? Bioelimination. Yeah. So it's it's very quick as far as like getting back to a homeostasis. Sure. Mode. Yeah. Your body knows how to process it. Yeah. So uh, it's it's interesting in that regard because it's. I don't know. I've never sat down with somebody and been like a trip sitter. Sure. For anybody that's done that. And uh, I don't know if they're like truly, I don't, I wouldn't like, it'd be interesting if you ever run across somebody, you know, do the eyelid test to see if they're truly. Yeah. Like how, how conscious are they while they're experiencing this? I mean, like. I feel like, are you going to med, are you going to a doctorate school soon? No. I was about to say, you should start your doctorate on this. Right? No, I, I am very happy as a mid-level anesthesia provider. Yeah. It's uh, If if you're looking for a, a profession that has a good work-life balance, uh, great pay, and you get to do really exciting stuff, anesthesiologist assistant is the profession for you. If you're medically inclined, it's a tough profession. It's, it's hard. Yeah. I won't lie. It's the first year is like 18 hours of classwork on top of, 30 hours. You don't mind me asking how much you guys make when you come out? Um, so depends on the the state you're looking at. Um, here in Colorado, the average starting salary is about 180. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, but there were some places, um, it's also like, Oh, am I 1099 or my contract employee? Sure. Um, so, but there, there are some people who took jobs making 240 straight out the gate. It's they have to pay a little bit in taxes, but sure. if you open up like LLCs and stuff, yep. like there's a there's a married couple in my practice um, that they're they they have an LLC that they mm-hmm. are able to write off certain things like I think commuting costs and, yep. and stuff like that. It's a lot of money. It is. I have a hella, but, but I have hella student loans. I was about to say, yeah, that. I've got about that much in student loans, loans, so. But hopefully in about three years, I can have that paid off. Yeah. And then whatever that some people like I, I have the benefit when you're first out of school, you've made nothing for the previous years. Mm-hmm. So your student loan payments are really low. My mine's only like 500 a month right now. Mm-hmm. There are people who have over like 2000, 2500. Some people are paying more student loans than they are on their mortgage. And that's why I'm just like waiting for the downfall of our society because yeah, I've got a uh, I've got a buddy of mine that's coming on hopefully uh, soon that that used to be a financial investor and uh, we're going to talk about some of that stuff. Is it Herman? Nope. Oh. No, but he is he. I, I I should reach out to him too. Yeah, he'd be great for the housing stuff. Sure. Um. But oh this, yeah, he'd be really interesting to talk to right about now. Stocks. I've given but, up on the the hope of buying a house. You really lucked out with when you when you were yeah looking to get a house and got a house because now it's well we're stuck here oh yeah this is where you'll die this is yeah, fantastic yeah. this is a, it's a good spot it's yeah. a great great spot I'm and gonna keep digging like i've got a basement i'm just gonna yeah, like just keep expanding gonna, yeah what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna like 
dig out the wall and just get a pickaxe and just keep like digging out to right. build. The Who floor needs a gym? Pan. I have a pickaxe and a wall. Exactly. Be like, where are you getting all this dirt? Right, just dumping it on the side of the street. Yes. <laughs> no. How does uh? So with the revolution of AI coming into almost all career fields outside sure. of, and I in uh, I will say it's starting to come into law enforcement a little sure. bit. Not as much as I think it could, which is something I'm exploring. But yeah. how does it work for you guys in medicine? Yeah, because so, what do you, what do you, what exactly are you doing? So, so you put in the order for the drugs, and then the the actual anesthesiologist. No, up. so I'm the hands. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. So in our we have what's called an anesthesia care team. So I've got an attending anesthesiologist who is a MD doctor of anesthesia. He is overseeing between three and four rooms. Uh, but in those rooms, they've got either anesthesiologist assistants or nurse anesthetists. And we are fully functioning individual care providers. So when I look at my cases every day, like all the medicines I gave, I didn't check with my attending if I should do that. And I was actually giving him suggestions on like, oh, I think this person needs a scope, scope patch, a scopolamine patch, which helps with nausea. Um, I think they need this. And he was like, sounds good. It's like, okay, I, that's, so I did that. I went out and got it from the, our Pixis, uh, drug dispensing vending machine, basically. Sure. And get this little patch. I, I was like, okay, here you go. Stick it behind your ear. And then that's when I gave my first head right before they rolled back to the surgery. But like all the decisions, all the, the care is done by me. So, um, I mean, there are hospitals that all the anesthesia is provided by anesthesiologists but mm -hmm. it's kind of a, a way of providing care without needing everybody to be at the same like their their understanding of anesthesia is phenomenal and like i don't go into the cardiac rooms i'm not doing the cardiac bypasses i'm not doing the the big brain big yeah do I'm, they turn well, off the brain yeah so and surgery? we do we do extra we turn it off so we um, you can, when you give propofol, you it's the brain can be monitored. So you're asking about depth of depth of sedation basically is what, what you're asking about. So there's, it's called a BIS monitors by indirect spectrum monitor. And that will basically out of a hundred, it'll tell me how on your brain is. So anywhere between 40 and 60 is a good depth for anesthesia. So today, because Spine surgery is really cool because you have to, there's a lot of moving parts and you, sometimes you can be paralyzed. Sometimes you can't because they're monitoring, like, oh, we're putting hardware in the spine. We have to make sure we're not messing up the nerve signals going down. We don't want to put a screw in your spine or spinal cord and make you paralyzed. Sure. So there's a neuromonitor in the back who's telling them, oh, there's this amount of impedance or whatever. I don't really know how that whole profession works. Somebody's watching. Someone's watching. Someone's looking at, there's these squiggles on a laptop in the corner and they're like, it's over 30, <laughs> over 30. And that's all I hear them say. I'm like, cool. Um, but in brain surgery, they, they really want to make sure that like there's no activity in the brain when they're working on it. So if you give like a, a bolus or a big push of propofol, you go into what's called burst suppression, which is where your brain is like off, off, like three neurons are firing and it's all like in your, the base of your spinal cord. That's How do they you. track that? So, because I know there's those, uh, we have a mon it? we it's little stickers I put on your forehead. Okay. It's for brain surgery, it's a little more difficult because they're 
operating on the brain, yeah. but like for what I was doing, we were doing lumbar surgery. So it was like, it's nowhere sure. near it. So I can have whatever. Have you done, have you done open head brain I have, surgery? Yeah. Yet? Yeah. I've done, I've done the being in Houston, Texas, where my program was located, we got to do some really cool surgeries. So we did, um, so for Parkinson's, one of the surgeries, they need to do a deep brain stimulator. So in order to make sure they are in the right area, you have to have somebody awake while doing brain surgery. So they're in this like, heart. yeah, you're talking about being awake during surgery. They literally do that. So they're in this harness. Are and they the, conscious though? They're conscious because well, we ask them to do things. So I've got you under sedation and it's it's basically a dial of how, how unconscious I need you. So it's like, we've got you here. And they're like, okay, get ready to start waking the patient up. So we have to wake them up enough that they are like able to do things, especially for Parkinson's. Cause we're like, is this, is this making your hand better? And then we, we poke a certain part and it's, it's better. And you're like, holy shit. Like putting a, an electrode in this person's brain causes their tremor to completely go away. And so we asked them, Holy. like, we asked them, like, touch your nose. And they're like, and what you run into problems is like, I, the, one of the people I did it, he was like a 75 year old guy who had really bad back pain. So he's like, oh, yeah, I'm just really not uncomfortable. We're like, sir, we need you to stop moving. Like, we are in your brain. We need you to stop moving. And so it's, it's intense. Like, have you seen that video where the lady is like playing, playing the violin? violin? Yeah. Yeah. She's sitting there and she, as they're like, obviously you don't see her. Yeah. yeah but I it's wish all behind the drapes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I Show me think, the goods. I just think it's so interesting. No, I, I work with, I work a lot with computers. Sure. And it's so baffling to me that the brain can be on tinkered is, with. No, 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 no. Just at the end, it, it is literally an electronic charge that is causing. All of this. It's all electronics. My, my and perception of everything, my feel, my smell, this interaction. You're like 90% of what goes on in your brain is just sodium channels going off. So crazy. Right? We put it on our food. How do we how do we go from the interface to memory? Because I guess that's one thing that's interesting about those procedures. Sure. So that's we're starting to leave my scope of practice, my uh understanding. But I, I do have a I was really interested in the brain. I have ADHD yeah. and definitely I'm on the, some kind of some spectrums here and there, but I was really interested in the brain in undergrad. So that's why I, I ended up like one class short of a minor in psychology because I was just taking classes. I was interested, took some drugs, drugs and behaviors, some developmental psychology, some cognitive uh, behavioral classes. And sorry, train of thought lost. So going from the, actual oh, formation of memories yeah. so it's all through the hippocampus okay so drugs i give you interfere with that so that's like what you got when you're counting down i don't know why they had to count but yeah. i think you you probably asked if you needed to count and they're probably like sure <laughs> like probably probably like <laughs> yeah like, whatever you want to do like you knew this me at that point exactly so like, it was like <laughs> this isn't where it starts you can count if you want to but yeah like that that's i just I, I think that's hilarious but no like the drugs we give you basically just kind of i said it's that radar suite it just kind of it stops stops working it's just so what is it again this is probably going into well we don't really know what's going on we just know it's working yeah is it stopping those neurological because you can't stop 
neurons from firing. Right. If that's if you got to tighten it down, you can yeah, no, this no, little screw right here. Um, it doesn't stop the neurons from firing, right? I mean, that's what burst suppression is: is your neurons stop firing? Because there's there's parts of the brain that are conscious thought, sure, the cerebellum, all like the, the the outer parts. But then as you get into the brainstem, all that stuff. I, I am drifting. Stop fidgeting with it. Here, hold on. We're gonna take a quick break because I gotta pee. Okay. Really so, badly. Sounds good. And then we'll come back because I, I gotta pick your brain a little bit more. Okay. okay. We're back. We're back. So interfacing with the as, as far as like the user interface that we have day sure. to day, right? So you guys don't turn it completely off, or you do. We you said there's certain drugs that that do stop. So yeah, the, so it's I I have to make you so there's certain aspects of when I'm looking at like what I need to do for the surgery, it's like how unconscious do I need to make you? So we can do what's called like Mac or monitored anesthetic care, which is just like sedation. So if you were to have like a carpal tunnel release or something where like, if we just give a little bit of lidocaine in the area, like yeah. that numbs up it enough, you just have to like not care that we're doing something to you. And then, so that's, how do you test that? Do you just hit them with like a pinprick or something? Yeah, pretty like much. That? Like, oh, do you feel this? Yeah. I mean, uh, like that's for labor epidural. When we give you a, a spinal for when you're giving, when you're giving birth. Um, yeah. So we, brother. we, yeah, anybody <laughs> can. Um, we, we give you our, the spinal, we give you the, usually it's um, bupivacaine that goes in, in your, in your spine. And then we literally will pinch you and we're like, get a toothpick or, yeah like a blunt tip needle and we poke you in your legs and it was like, how, when do you feel this? And we, we start in the legs and we go up to the belly. And then usually it's like right around kind of like the nipple line. That's like, Oh, that's, that's T10. That's usually what we're shooting for. Cause then it's like, we know that when we, we cut across your red, your belly button, you're yeah. not going to feel it. So hmm. for if you have like, you're saying for like a cesarean cesarean section. Yeah. Okay. But for like, a carpal tunnel, they'll just give like some local anesthetic in the area. And then I give you like a little bit of propofol, a little bit of Fersed, a little bit of fentanyl just to kind of like make it more comfortable for you. But then yeah. most people, you basically just take a nap. You're sitting there, you're snoring, you're breathing on your own. I'm just <laughs> a medical babysitter. I'm just watching you breathe. And then like I'm talking with surgery. And then when surgery is finished, they're like, okay, I turn it off. I'd stop whatever infusions I've got going on. I turn the gas off and then you wake up and you're just kind of like, oh, that was nice. I had a dream about whatever. And then you're like, nice. And then we just take you over to the recovery area and send you home. But then yeah. we can do what's called general anesthesia, which is like, oh, we need your gallbladder out. We're fixing your, we're doing a knee replacement. Oh, well, knee replacements you can do with a spinal and some nerve blocks, but like big procedures, like, oh, hip fracture. Could you ever be like, if they, if they need to do work on my leg? Sure. Could they ever like be like, nope, do a nerve block and I want to watch? Yeah, we we've had some people ask to be like more awake, but like, why would you want that? I want to watch it. You want to watch it? No, like, I mean, there's that, that Russian surgeon back in like 1940 something that like did his own appendectomy or something like that. But I'm pretty sure he got a spinal to just allow him to just do what he needed to do. But aside from that, like, but the the other thing is like we don't want you talking to us. <laughs> we just need to do the job. So it's like, sometimes like you've got some really talkative patients that you're like, yeah, I'm going to just going to, 
you don't say like I'm gonna put you to sleep because you're talkative, but you're like, ah, it's it's okay. Just, just go to sleep. We just need you to be sleeping with us. I just imagine like again going back to that surgery table is like, yeah. Oh no, I'll help. I'll help. And they're like, no, 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 please, no, no. Don't. Please, please don't. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is like I said when when you kind of turn the brain back on, what kind of gets kicked up. When with veterans, something you have to worry about is like Vietnam syndrome, especially old veterans. Yeah, like they'll wake up fighting. Really, their their on switch is like, let's go. Like yeah. the enemy is around, and like younger. So the when the brain wakes up, it'll react before you're aware that you're reacting. Yeah, especially in younger people. So like a young athlete like us in our prime yeah. back in high school doing, doing sports and stuff, we would probably have woken up pretty agitated just because our, our bodies are awake, but our brain is not fully engaged with what's going on. Yeah. The reasoning portion of the brain is, is completely not, off. Yeah. yeah. And so you're like, it takes you a little bit. You're like, you're waking up from surgery, stop moving. And like, I don't know how like PACU nurses, like the post anesthetic care unit nurses, I don't know how they do their job. Cause I feel like you would just be like, it's okay. You're waking up from surgery. It's okay. You're waking up from surgery. It was very strange. I won't go into too many details, but there was an incident that where I got to experience somebody that was coming straight out of anesthesia, sure. like anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I could see the switch. Yeah. That was like, you know, interacting, interacting switch. And it was like, what's going on? I'm well, I'm here. When did you get here? Right. You, and I was like, like, I've been here for 20 minutes. Yeah. You're, you're watching all this. We've happen. had a full conversation. You signed four contracts. Yeah, exactly. No, I know so much about you. How's your yeah. wife and them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is interesting to see somebody kind of like, uh, the light bulb kind of turn. You can on. see it. Yeah. Cause it, it, there's yeah. definitely like there's, there's awake and then there's oriented. Yeah. There's definitely the like oriented. Is and that's port. when yeah. we talk about, when we give our handoff, we tell you like ahead of time, they were alert and oriented or like they don't know what's going on. They did not, not sign really. the consent for themselves. This is Mima getting her hip replaced. Yeah. Her daughter signed the forms for her acknowledging that Mima needs to have her hip replaced. She is yeah. going to wake up and we, we always worry about like post-op delirium. The older you get, the more likely it is because you just, it takes you a little bit to be like, where, where am I? You're, you sure. just had, you just had surgery. You're in St. Francis hospital or whatever you're at. That's so interesting in the in the essence of like memories and stuff like that and in uh where the brain takes us. Right. Like even even uh it's it's a cool thought experiment to even close your eyes, think back to a particular moment. You might not remember the day, you might not remember the time. Sure. But to think back to that moment and close your eyes and really focus on it, it becomes so real. Oh yeah. No, it's like my happy place is this spot in the Appalachian mountains where we took a break one time where there was just like the stream and this nice, like I, I can put myself, I can smell the dirt that I was standing on in yeah. that. Like that's when I need to ground myself, I put myself there and that's like, was it grandfather mountain? Uh, no, I think it was oh. uh B mountain was okay. the, was, it's the, yeah, it's uh the exact part of it. It's, it's part of the Appalachian mountains. It's Appalachian interesting in the, in the fact that that memory is just neurological. Oh yeah. Firing. That's it. Yeah. No, I saw someone's like, there's, there's no way of like a hundred percent knowing anything beside yourself is real because it's all just data being processed by your brain. Like yeah. I, you're wearing a, what I would call it like a salmon colored shirt, but 
if you were to see your shirt with my eyes, you might say that's green just because that's how your brain is interfacing with it is processing that information. Yeah. And then you get the people that argue like, oh, well, colors coming in at a different wavelength. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't define how your brain is interpreting that data. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that we are, I think there's, there's a higher likelihood that we are dealing with a simulation than we are not. Yeah. And just, and that's just based on like anecdotal stuff. There's some quantum physics that go into that, but like on one of your other podcasts, I think it was Griffin. He mentioned it. Neil deGrasse Tyson was saying, if you look really into the, the, the math of the universe, you see computer codes. Yeah. It starts getting a little, and like, and I'm still at the same point as I don't know what to do with it. I don't think it changes any perspectives that I have. Right. Um, But it's, it allows me to look at the human experience and my experience with this world in a lot more peaceful way. Yeah. Knowing, knowing that there's probably that simulation going on. Sure. But speaking of simulations and the, uh, you know, the full fledged, onward trajectory that we have with uh simulations and sure. AI, AI. And, and and so so AI the the reason why I say I, I correlate the two is because I feel like AI will be the future of simulations. Sure. If you're going to make a simulation you want AI almost uh you know the point of the point of uh, singularity sure. to happen and then AI exist in their own little simulation and then you could have an entire universe in that simulation. Yeah. So uh, going to AI and kind of what you do. Sure. So what are you guys, what are you guys seeing in that regard? So there are, I've definitely, I've read some studies about like anesthesia machines that you can kind of program that it's like, Oh, I want the blood pressure parameters to be this. I need, like I said, there's monitors that can tell me everything, like how unconscious you are, what your heart rate is, blood pressure, oxygen levels. So uh, basically you could in theory, program a machine like especially with machine learning and how advanced ai is becoming but the problem is a lot of what i do is it's procedural it's actually placing the airway it's placing the iv so there's a lot of stuff that you can't do with an ai like i'm i'm sure in in 100 years there's going to be a there's a robot that's going to be able to place ivs with 100 percent, 99 percent efficiency but like i don't know waking a patient up i had a she was like a 29 year old female the other day getting her gallbladder taken out she laryngospasmed i don't know if how fast so it's when if so anesthetic acids cause different phases of sedation uh stage three fully asleep stage one awake stage two we call the excitement stage so that's when your brain is on but you're it's only your reflexes that are really kind of functioning. You are not in control of your body at this point. If you mess with someone's airway right around that time, their vocal cords will slam shut and called the laryngospasm. And then you'll try to breathe and you'll you cause n- negative uh, pressure, pulmonary embolism, like or, uh, various lung conditions. So it's, it's kind of bad. So you can fix that though, but I don't know how fast a machine would have known how to do that. Right. Um, I had some instructors that said like anesthesia is 50% knowing what to do and 50% making it look easy. There's definitely an art of anesthesia. So it's, 
I don't know. Is that the we don't fully understand the the capabilities of AI. So sure, there's there may be some point where AIs do take over, but from my perspective, there's a lot that is outside of what AI would be able to do. And also just being able to physically interact with the patient. Like I, I was looking at some articles leading up to this that were talking about like how AI is used in medical field. And a lot of it's like ultrasound guidance, um, radiology uses AI a lot to identify certain things that they may overlook. Um, but as far as procedural medicine, I think it'd be really hard to create a machine that could do what I do with the reaction time that I have. Sure. So could you see yourself doing it more or utilizing it as more of an interface? Sure. Yeah. They, they're, I mean, a lot of what I kind of rely on is like you, you have your machine that's giving you all these, all this information, you're processing it, but then you set alarms and yeah. like backups of like, Oh, blood pressure has dropped to this amount. So kind of that adaptive learning, you could, say like oh these are kind of like the normal parameters this is what you should be watching for and like what i i like to or describe what i do is i'm like the goalie in a soccer game like if surgery goes well nobody's looking at anesthesia like you're the rock star you did it like i allow surgery to do what they need to do i let them score on the other team when things go badly it usually gets looked at what did what did anesthesia do wrong? What did we give? What did we not do? And that's where it's like that's there's so many variables that you have to take into consideration. And like I have to rely on like I know machine learning it it, it does take a re retrospective look at all these different things that have happened. But like I rely on my own knowledge base to mm -hmm. say oh that's what's happening. And as I've started practicing, I've been out of school for about a year and a half now, my reaction time has gotten significantly faster. So it's like, Oh, I know what happened. I knew I recognized literature's passive immediately in that girl and I fixed it. But I don't know. It's hard to say that a computer would be able to acknowledge that and then like intervene with anything. Yeah. But in a fast enough time and, and yeah I don't think, in, in an appropriate manner too yeah i i do get freaked out have you ever seen uh ex machina yes that freaks me out a little bit like the, the if you have a what it makes me think about this is like we see those robots do surgeries sure. there are some that do like very very small incisions very small like heart valve yeah, surgeries and, I mean, like, and stuff like robotic that. surgery is a thing but usually it's a surgeon controlling the robot sure i'm sure you, you eventually there'll be a capability of it oh, what sure. would freak me out is if i saw a humanoid robot with synthetic skin sure. walk up to me look like a human be like hey right i'm ChatGPT seventy six, you know, like surgical add on mode. Yeah, yeah. Imagine like going through an entire surgery experience without interacting with a single person. Like the person you check in is a kiosk that you've answered all your questions. Like, oh, here's my medical conditions, and then your a light turns on that you go through a door and you sit down and a big ass robot with multiple arms. That would freak me the, out. The Da Vinci X 76 that comes in and places your IV and then breathe deeply and just holds yeah. a mask on you. And then 
another robot comes in like and it knows too like you're not yeah. breathing deep enough you're yeah i can yeah it knows it sees like yeah you're <laughs> you're still about 35 now you're your end you're uh my pulse oximeter is reading only 97 percent. Yeah. please take three to four deep breaths yeah, exactly in one two three out no. i think we're i think for some things we'll be there sure i think for like replacement it's hard to replacement like stuff. It's hard I to completely we'll replace somebody because, like, yeah, you could probably a prosthetic. I'm thinking, and not 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 at a joint. Sure. So, like, below the knee, good example. Yeah, clean cut. Yeah. The interesting part for me would be, and you could probably touch base on this, is like I always had a fascination with like an Anakin Skywalker hand. Yeah. Right. And I know I've seen some videos on the internet. Oh, sure. Yeah, prosthetics like, are coming along, especially like yeah. hand prosthetics are and really they're, they're connecting advanced. with nerves sure. to where it's like the brain. And I think with Elon Musk's uh, Neuralink, it's going to yeah. be huge, uh, especially be with not the ne- not necessarily needing to connect with the existing nerve system, but being having the option to control other things through like Bluetooth. Yeah. An EMP goes off, you're screwed, but... Yeah, right. But... I guess how much of that do you see? Um, Connecting of nerves. Sure. So, I I think that I said the brain's super interesting to me, and so I've always been fascinated by like how it works and like why his mind worked the way it was. And if you really start like looking at kind of like nerves and nerve innervations about muscles and everything, and like sorry to kind of sidetrack uh in my undergrad i I did a study or i helped out with some research that was uh aimed at helping paraplegics um use muscle groups that they may not be able to necessarily control voluntarily Mm -hmm. with like nerve stems so kind of projecting that a little bit into the future like i could definitely see there's some pretty cool pretty cool ideas that you could come up with. Like, I don't know if you've seen uh cyberpunk edge runners mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, yeah. What if we replace someone's spine with this thing that allows them to like process a thousand times faster or like, Oh, it gives a super strength. Like that's not outside of the realm of possibilities. I would 100%. And I know I asked a uh, previous guest this, but I would 100% get some, some get- cybernetic, cybernetic augmentations yeah to a certain extent sure right uh i would want like there's there's something that's very uh human about touch sure right so if you didn't mess with my touch that's fine yeah but like processing oh yeah so like if they're like hey we can replace your eyeball yeah give you like a smart lens yeah perfect yeah especially if it's not full removal and inserting yeah inserting a new uh piece itself but I, I also think of like if i had the option to connect with Neuralink and then have immediate access to to phones yeah you know stuff no like, like uh, I, I find myself looking up like oh you, you'll get patients that come in with various like diseases and disorders so you're like i've never heard of this yeah to be able to just be like scan it and be like what's that and then just like think boom oh it's a yeah clotting disorder you're like oh neat Good to know. There's a good show on Netflix that uh, it's called Upload. Sure. It has, uh, it's mostly based on afterlife, but it does have some interfacing with like the, the 
people living now. Sure. And a lot of what they have is they, you know, they don't have phones anymore. Everything's on their hand. Mm. So they open it up and a little screen populates between their thumb and index finger. Interesting. And they can interface with their phone there. And I'm like, you know what? That, w- that would probably be the next step for uh, any development in our integration with technology. Sure. Is going to be some sort of uh, virtual reality augmentation through proxy of like a neural link sure. into our yeah, brain. Yeah, some kind of like user interface. Yeah. It's like a like video game kind of displays yep. where you've got, I don't know, what your inventory is going on, your messages. Yep. You're over-encumbered. Yeah, exactly. By life. <laughs> All the time. You have bills, groceries. Just uh, adulting. <laughs> Could you imagine? It's like you're you're at work and your tolerance level, your computer in your brain's like, right. you're done. Yeah, you're so done. So you go into your boss's office, be like, hey, my uh, tolerance is done for the day. Exactly. I've... Go ahead and uh, share that with me real quick. Right. Like, yep, go home. It's like, wow, your stress levels are off the roof. Yeah, you should definitely. Uh... Dude. Honestly, that might be the solution to a toxic workplace. Right. Right there. But anyway, man, I've got to have you on again because there's just so much I want to pick your brain about. Absolutely. I appreciate, uh, as I tell everybody, time is the most valuable resource that we have. So I appreciate you. Appreciate you coming out here. Um, And I appreciate the amount of years that we've just known each other. And like you giving me the time of day. Yeah. Um, Good people are hard to find yeah i don't i would i would i appreciate the comment or the compliment of course. and uh yeah man like i said i have to have you back on for those listeners i appreciate your time and uh and giving us the time of day everybody will thank you um, for having me on make sure you go over to the snepodcast.com make sure you sign up for the first to know uh newsletter i send out on the 15th of each month the roster for next month and the importance of that is you can submit your topics you want to hear, the questions you might not hear. It, it's not a guarantee that your questions or topics will be covered, but it does give me a good idea of what you want to hear about. So make sure, again, go over to the snepodcast.com and sign up for the first to know. You can follow, like, and subscribe on any social media network, and I appreciate your support. That subscribe button seems pretty petty, but it means a lot to me, especially in the analytics that I look at. So thanks once again, everybody. Take care.